0: years out of slavery in Egypt, the people asked from their desert place, how will we be nourished in this wasteland you call freedom? And it makes me wonder if you have ever missed the full belly of certainty that you had in your bondage back when you were bound to faith paradigms of shame or fear or guilt, back when throwing those shackles on others were second nature for you? Have you ever missed the sweet fruit of stability and easy answers and belonging? Even if you were to say to me, no, never, whether you mean that or not, I wouldn't believe you. I wouldn't believe it was that easy for you to leave it all behind. Because like those Israelites fleeing Egypt with an army behind them, like those people of God wandering across a desert when they were guaranteed a promised land, we have encountered the hard truth as well that liberation has its costs. If we didn't know before, we know now that freedom doesn't come without a struggle. We know there's too much loss in deconstructing our faith to not ever once grieve what was. And so as we think about what it means to be the post-church church, church, I want to acknowledge an unfortunate marker of it, which is that there is no such thing as the post-church church church without people who are battle-wounded. Wounded people make up all our churches, let's get real, but a post-church church church is truly willing to make space for all of us and all our wounds, even though it's the trickier way. And even when it interrupts or causes discomfort in the post-church church, we are not sweeping things under the rug. We are naming our individual and collective traumas aloud here. We are making space for the grief and the fullness of our wounds. And we are prioritizing an image of God and spiritual practices that are concerned with wellness. We are not interested in staying sick around here. In the post church church, the medicine works. So the post-church church is a place where healing is sought. And we, Peace of Christ Church, are over here seeking some healing. We wouldn't be here otherwise. We need sacred community because there is no way around the inevitable muck of this work, but through. And there's no way through, but together. The prophet Moses knew this much. He led an entire people out of slavery. And now this man who had dealt with imposter syndrome his whole life was suddenly a political leader, a spiritual leader, CEO, and army commander. Every bit of power and burden rested on his shoulders. And from this place, Moses buckled under the pressure and he cried out to God and said, literally, verse 14, I cannot carry this nation alone. The weight is too much for me. And y'all, we are creating a community that's built on the same cry. We are crying out that hierarchy is not sustainable here as well. Maybe the church used to function as a top-down place where one spiritual leader told everyone how to proceed, but the post-church church church is not interested in top-down theology. We are laying bare our struggles we are showing our whole hand, we are walking in clarity and transparency. In the post-church church, we know collaboration is key. We can see on the other side of things that hierarchy wasn't all it was cracked up to be, and we are wise enough to know we don't want it anyway because we've been through too much. And not just with our own face coming undone, but with the reality of what it means to exist in these times. It's one pile on after another. And when we cry out to God, like Moses, we're pissed. We've thrown out our prayer journals with the nice little pretty lists, and we are pissed. Like Moses, it is all too much. The weight of the world is too heavy. The burden of suffering is too great to shoulder alone. We need help in the form of each other. And so perhaps the message to us is the same as it was in our ancient texts. Moses wanted out. Moses was like, kill me now. I can't take this. Kill me. And God's like, okay, I hear you. But God didn't lift the burden off of him. And the people's realities didn't suddenly ease up or change. Instead, the solution offered was the addition of community in the work the acknowledgement that Moses shouldn't have to go it alone. And we can't either, not the best of us, not the least of us by divine design, we cannot face the realities of this world alone. We need sacred community because we need help navigating life and the way of Christ is teaching us how to be. We need sacred community to help equip us with the practices and tools of depth That will ground us amidst all the upheaval and chaos. We need sacred community so that together we can move into an authentic faith posture. And so that we can help our kids do the same. Because it is authenticity that will ground us and hold us. The post-church church is not interested in any other type of faith but an honest one. If it means irreverence, so be it. If it means breaking with tradition, so be it. If it means leaving some things behind, so be it. The post-church church is an authentic church. It is a church who is willing to shift away from what's been done, away from the sway of power, away from the typical standards of success or endless ego tendencies. It's a church who is constantly willing to say over and over again, aha, there's a better way. And then has the guts to actually live into whatever that vision is. What other people or Christians or churches have to say about it, be damned. A post-church church consistently and radically reimagines a way of being that's reflective of heaven on earth. And I believe that we are trying our best to lean into authenticity right here at peace. Right here in our tiny but mighty community. And amidst so much gloom, this knowledge gives me hope. Gone are the days of silent suffering, of holding our traumas hostage in our bodies. Gone are the days of stifling our intuition. We are asking questions out loud. We're embracing mystery. We're celebrating doubt. We're opening up. We're sharing our struggles. And we are retiring comparison and jealousy and isolation in the process. We are putting it all on the table. We are saying it all out loud. And we're doing it in community. The more we travel this road together side by side, the more we realize community begets authenticity and authenticity begets community. This is the birthplace of resilience. If a church isn't actively promoting authentic faith journeying, it may be a church, but let me tell you, it's not a post-church church. Because remember, The post-church church church is full of wounded people and we need a place to tend to our wounds, not deny them. I have so much to say about the post-church church. I even wrote down four pages of it in preparation for this sermon, but then I tucked those four pages away for a different sermon because I kept coming back to this starting point, authenticity as our groundwork and our foundation for working and moving and living together in a way that's sustainable and healthy. This is what it means to thrive. And thriving is the stuff of salvation, which is new life, which is getting free. And here's the thing. When we're living into authenticity, not only does it heal us and hold us, but it also compels us, meaning we do good work in the world. Consistent authenticity is the stuff resistance is made of. Because absolutely, under no circumstance, circumstances can we be dishonest. We absolutely cannot be untrue. We cannot compromise what is good and right and of God. In other words, when we're leaning into authenticity, try as we might, we cannot not be prophetic. And I don't know much about Eldad or Maydad in our text today, but I know I like them. I like them precisely because they didn't do what they were told. They were summoned, but for whatever reason, they didn't come. They didn't follow the other 68. The text says the spirit came to rest on them also. And they prophesied in the camp. These two stayed with the grumbling, suffering, however you want to look at them, grieving people. And there they prophesied. So at the start of this story, we have one prophet. By the middle, we have 70. And by the end, the whole nation is in proximity to spirit. Something compelled them to break with what they'd been told. So they were disobedient and they went against what everyone was doing and they resisted. And in a great show of authenticity, the two rogue prophets chose to radically remain in the camp where they were not supposed to be. They chose to radically remain authentic to whatever value system was driving them to make that choice. Our posture. Is authenticity too? And the post-church church can choose to radically remain in that posture. It is a posture of confession that beyond the concepts of dogma and prescriptions and obedience, there is an even more honest way. It is a posture of acknowledgement of divine presence shared with all of us via spirit in us. It is an open-handed posture, an entry point into the full embrace of Imago Day. Amago Day tells us that we were made in the image of God, spirit in us, and we don't have to live in paradigms that perpetuate shame or fear or guilt to usher us into divine connection. We don't need that kind of motivation around here. The truth is we're all bad Christians. We're all bad meditators. We all suck at meditation. We're all bad activists. We're all bad at getting stuff done sometimes, yet we're good. Good, 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 created in God's image, good. It's the ultimate paradox, but we don't have to wrestle over it anymore. We can just let it be true. We can stop feeling guilty and stupid about it. We can focus on a posture of authenticity instead, honesty at all costs. This will increase our self-love and our self-compassion and it will expand our capacity for extending that same love and compassion onto the rest of creation. From this place, we become more prone to movement because finally, we don't need that movement to be perfect. We just need it to happen. If the post church church had one characteristic as its starting point, if it had one attribute to hold on to consistently, and if that attribute was an utmost concern with individual and collective authenticity, just imagine we wouldn't even need a post church church. The church would have just gotten it right the first time. Maybe church would be a safe place for all people instead of an insider's club where we have to hang our smiles and questions at the door with our jackets. As it is, here we are. We are a church who has accepted the reality of these post-church times. And I really believe that the only reason I have anything to say on this matter at all is because I've just been learning it from you people all this time about what it really means to be a post-church church. In so many ways, we are already living into what this means. And our commitment to authenticity continues to energize us, propelling us into that work of liberation, that resurrection work, that new life work. Remember, We know now that liberation comes at great cost. No one ever said liberation was easy and certainly not God, not once. I'm not saying that there's a way to ease the work or lighten our loads. All I'm saying is we need each other and thank God we have each other. May we open our eyes a bit wider to the truth of this, to the hope of it, to the great divine provision within it. May we continue being bad Christians and bad meditators and bad activists together. It may be mediocre, but at least it's real, at least it's honest, and at least it's authentic. Amen.